Do you love language learning but feel deprived of meaningful connection? Project OLAS takes a unique and impactful approach to Spanish learning. OLAS connects learners with women, or OLAS moms, for conversational, relationship-centered Spanish sessions, all online through WhatsApp. OLAS moms are women who live in the communities surrounding the Guatemala City garbage dump. And through OLAS, moms can generate income safely from home. If you want to learn Spanish through relationship-centered learning, all while supporting inclusion for a community of moms in Guatemala, Project OLAS is for you. Visit them at www.projectolas.com and start learning for just $13 a session. You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 83, Speaking Tereo Maori. Hello, language lovers. Happy New Year, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast and conversation with multilinguals. After a short break at the end of 2021, I'm happy to be back to bring you this episode with my guest, Amelia, the founder of Learn Maori Abroad, to talk about Te Reo Maori. In this conversation, we're learning a ton about the Maori language, culture, and community. Amelia tells us about grammar basics and dialectical differences of the language. Amelia tells us about how the Maori people honor the connections between one another and with nature, and how patriarchal systems have had an impact on Maori culture. We also learn the cultural importance and significance of one of my absolute favorite things on earth. Let's see if you can guess what that is. And stay tuned, of course, for Amelia's answer to the last question of the episode, where she recites a meaningful karakea in Maori with a valuable message that I think should be heard by all. Big thank you to Amelia for sharing so much of your culture with us. And don't forget to check out Learn Maori Abroad, links to which can be found in the show notes. If you enjoy this episode of Speaking Tongues, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts and like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can support the show on buymeacoffee.com. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I'm here today with Amelia. How are you today, Amelia? Hi, Ali. Doing really well. Really excited to be here on your amazing podcast. Thank you so much. And I'm so thrilled that you're joining me from New Zealand, which I told you before we started recording is one of my top destinations in the world. So I have so many things that I want to learn from you and, and talk to you about in this conversation. So I'm, I'm excited to, to really talk to you today. I like to start each episode with the same question, and that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? Ali, that is a great question. So uh, my first language is English. Uh, so um, yeah, native English speaker. And then I learned Te Reo Māori, which is the Māori language. Um, just as I was growing up, I went to Māori full immersion preschool and also studied Te Reo Māori in high school and at university. Um, so Māori is my second language. And then, um, so even though I'm here in New Zealand, I'm based in California. And so I have learned some Spanish just because uh, it's, you know, there's a big... Spanish-speaking population in Southern California. So those three languages, I'd say, uh, are my main languages. Very cool. So I picked up, you're saying Tereo Maori. Am I pronouncing that kind of right a little bit? <laughs> yes, that was very good. When you're saying Tereo Maori, what does that, what does that translate to? So the word reo it means, in this context, it means language. So, and then te is our the, so te reo Māori is the Māori language. Oh, okay. 
Okay, so for this conversation, should I say Maori? Should I say Treo Maori? What What do you prefer, or what is encouraged for us to say? So what's encourages encourages to say Treo Maori because that distinguishes the language from the people. Mm. So I am Maori. I'm an Indigenous Maori woman, and Maori are the Indigenous people of New Zealand. Uh, for those who might not know so usually if we're talking about like Maori as in the people or a person is Maori we would say Maori um, but specifically when we talk about the language we say te reo Maori although we you know you can also say you know I speak Maori but it's better if you can say I speak te reo Maori. Oh, okay te reo Maori is where is it spoken um, where can we hear it and which languages is it related to? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So Te Reo Māori is spoken here in Aotearoa in New Zealand. So Aotearoa is the Māori name for New Zealand. Um, and, you know, it's not really spoken anywhere else. Um, although with the work I do, I do have a lot of students who live all over the world. And so in that sense, we are speaking it in other places, but of course, you know, it is our indigenous language here in New Zealand. Um, so Māori or Te Reo Māori is from the language family known as the Austronesian language family. And for us, the closest languages to Te Reo Māori are Hawaiian, Cook Island Māori and Tahitian. Oh, Cook Island Māori. What are some of the similarities and what are some of the differences between Te Reo Māori and Cook Island Māori? So, well, for me, I'm not so much an expert on Cook Island Māori, but I know one of the differences is in Te Reo Māori, we say ki ora, and then in Cook Island Māori, they say ki orana. So, um, and then our counting is very, very similar. So, yeah, there's, and it's like this with a lot of the islands from the Pacific Ocean region. So a lot of our Pacific Island uh, cousins, um, there's a lot of similarities in certain word usages and even sentence structures that you'll see. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking back to two episodes that I did um, in 2021 and one was about Hawaiian language and one was about uh, Reotiti. So I'm really, for me, this is like full circle because I'm learning about these cousin languages of one another. And I think it's just, it's so exciting. And I think what I've learned about Polynesian culture is that we have this, I guess I could say as an American, I have always seen this like, very generic like Polynesian culture representation. And I think that it's, you know, it's it's unfair, frankly, to just kind of lump everyone together. But it's been really wonderful for me to have these conversations and learn about the the differences in the cultures and, and the similarities as well. And just learn like what makes these I really like how you said cousins, <laughs> what really makes them all just kind of, um, you know, stand out from one another and be individual from one another. I want to talk about, from what I researched before um, before having this conversation, is that uh, Tereo Māori is not, was not historically a written language. So what was, I mean, when did it start to become a written language and how did the shift between an oral language to the written language, how did it affect or did it affect the way that people communicate with one another? So um, in terms of, you know, Te Reo Māori moving from being an oral tradition or, you know, orally passed down from generation to generation through our stories, through our songs, through our prayers and, you know, Māori proverbs, um, the introduction to writing came when the British arrived in New Zealand and, you know, essentially colonized New Zealand. Um, and so I think it was in the early 1900s when, you know, the missionaries also came and, you know, brought with them the, the gospel, the written word. And so 
these elements introduced writing to to our people and so you know since then Māori or Te Reo Māori has developed as a written language as well as an oral language but traditionally it was always you know an oral language everything was passed down through these stories and generations um, just awaha which means by mouth yeah so yeah it wasn't until um, yeah the arrival of the missionaries that you know the the British introduced the written language um, to you know my ancestors Mm -hmm. did at all was there ever a period and I'm thinking of in this in the case of Hawaiian for example where learning the Hawaiian language was discouraged and now it's kind of going through a revitalization period and people are looking to push it to the forefront for you know for native Hawaiians did Tereo Maori experience anything like that yes we definitely did so my grandmother is in the generation that was beaten and caned at school for speaking Maori so my grandmother like many many and many in her generation you know they were the first to um, go to these you know native schools um, set up by you know colonization the British and different um, laws that were then passed and my grandmother being a fluent native speaker of the language would speak Māori to her cousins and brothers and sisters and they would be punished for that and so you know according to my mother my grandmother was you know caned many times as was many of our ancestors in that generation and so she grew up um, raising her children to speak English only and so you know as a result my mother raised me speaking English um, although she did still send me to Kohanga Reo. So when I was very young, I went to a Māori learning language nest. And this was in the 80s. And so the 1980s is when the Māori language movement first started. So in the 80s, um, the Māori language became an official language of New Zealand, along with um, English and sign language. And then also in the 80s, they started this big, you know, Māori schooling movement starting up full immersion language schools for very young children and also for older children. And so I was lucky to be born in the 80s and was able to be exposed to the language at a very early age. But then after that, I did go to primary school or elementary school. Um, It was all English as well as my high school, although um, my mother actually fought for me to learn Māori in my high school because... gosh this was the 90s and the school I went to they only had French German and Japanese and this is a school in New Zealand in Auckland the the biggest city in New Zealand Um, but she thought that so I could learn Maori by correspondence Mm. so I did get to learn it It was me and one other one other girl and we learned Maori just by ourselves it was back when we had the, you know, the cassette tapes. Oh, yeah. Record and then <laughs> send our little package to our teacher who was in Wellington, which is um, the capital city here in New Zealand. And so, you know, that's where I really got to study the language. And then I did go on to major in Māori in um, my university studies and my Bachelor of Arts. So, Um, you know that was Maori language Maori culture and also Maori performance and so that really gave me um, you know my foundation in terms of what I'm doing now teaching the language Um, but yeah so very similar to our Hawaiian um, cousins there and actually to, to many many indigenous people around the world our culture was almost wiped out and our language was almost wiped out Um, but you know our ancestors fought to revitalize it and now there's a massive Maori language movement here in New Zealand uh, where a lot of people are learning Maori this is like a big revitalization happening which is just so wonderful to see I love to hear that I love to hear that people are are looking forward to the future and and revitalizing the language and the culture so if the language was discouraged if if uh, people of your grandmother's 
generation were discouraged and and you know physically punished for for speaking their language and and discouraged what about the the traditions and the culture did that have any way of maybe sneaking sneaking in and maybe you know because it i would presume it's happening behind closed doors um within you know your home and and amongst relatives did did the culture was the culture able to stay strong where the language couldn't so you know in a lot of ways also the culture was um kind of treated the same way as the language so um there was a act of parliament passed called the Tohunga Suppression Act, which, which um, suppressed all of our Maori experts in practicing, you know, our traditional medicines, our traditional spiritual beliefs. And so there was definitely, you know, with colonization, there's definitely a very um, outward approach to oppress, oppression and really kind of eradicating these indigenous cultural beliefs and really turning, you know, the indigenous into a colonial or a colony of, of the, essentially of the British empire. So, yeah, so that had, um, yeah, so, you know, that had similar, we're down a similar path, but, you know, uh, we're lucky because there are, there's definitely knowledge bodies that have survived through all that. Um, for instance, one of my friends, he's a Taonga Puoro practitioner, so he, um, shares our traditional Māori music using our traditional Māori instruments um, and creating sounds that come from, you know, the New Zealand bush and also from the sea. So there are things that have su survived in, you know, family groupings um, and then also certain things that have been lost because I'm from the north, the north of the north. We were actually the first place where the British landed and British arrived. So because of that, the north of the North Island, we assimilated a lot quicker versus more remote tribes like mm. Tuhoi. They were able to hold on to things because you know, the British didn't quite get to them as quickly as they got to us here in the far north. And so, yeah, in that sense, you know, things were lost. But again, we're seeing a big revitalization with, you know, these cultural elements, people practicing you know, Maori medicine, um, you know, different um, parts of Māori culture, like our carving or our weaving. So all of those things are having a renaissance and kind of being revitalized as well. So that's all really great to see. And then I think, you know, the biggest um, element in us still having these taonga or these treasures is our marae. So even though, you know, these things were outlawed, we would still meet in our uh, on our traditional meeting um, place. Our marae would still gather there, and you know people would speak in Maori there, and you know practice our traditional culture there. And so, really, our marae helped us to you know protect and hold on to a lot of our culture. Even you know, even having a lot of of our culture existing within our waiata, our songs and these songs were passed on so yes but now it, there's a lot more um, information available you know there's a lot more um, emphasis on you know these cultural elements coming you know being brought back into the mainstream and being shared so it's it's really exciting to see yeah I can't wait to come visit I'm so excited <laughs> just hearing about this. It's so exciting. Let's talk about the language. What are some hallmarks of, uh, of Te Reo Māori and the pronunciation? Um, is it tonal? Is it gendered? What's sentence structure like? Tell me just some of the, the, the very, very basics to get us started. Well, I think with Te Reo Māori, we, like, we don't really, it's not gendered. Um, like other languages might be so um, and even in our language we have non-gender specific terms uh, for example our word for he or she is ia and so we would use ia regardless if it was a man or a woman so we do have these non-gender specific terms in our language and then I think in terms of the sentence structure 
you know, we have different sentence types, like, you know, our verb sentences, our noun sentences. And it's similar to other languages where, you know, if you're including an adjective, we put the adjective after the noun. Yeah, we, we have these basic sentence structures, like, you know, we have our tense marker, then our verb, then our subject. So, you know, that's the difference from English there. For us, we don't change the verb, you know, um, so it'll stay the same, the word. We actually change the words around it. Versus in English, we change the verb like, uh, you know, go, going, um, gone. gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but in Māori, we don't do that. It's the, you know, the little tense markers around the verb that, that change. Do you have an example? Sure. So, for example, the word um, which means to go is haere. Haere. And so, so kaite uh, haere aho would be I am going. E haere aho, I went. And then ka haere aho, I will go. Oh, okay. So the haere was the same in each of the three sentences. But the tense mark has changed. So kaite is present tense, e is past tense, and ka is future tense. Although ka can actually go for all three tenses, but in my beginners level course, I just teach ka for future tense. I see. Are these tenses in Te Reo Māori, are they as simple as you just described, or do they get more complex? Like um like I I went or I had gone I had went somewhere are those types of more complex tenses a part of the language as well yeah so in that case we might use kua so kua is past perfect tense so kua haere aho I have gone okay okay I know that a lot of indigenous languages, and this is one thing that I really love because I think it's really missing from like English and especially as it's spoken in America, but a lot of indigenous languages have particular greetings or like honorable ways of talking to elders in the community. Um, and also to anyone who's like a teacher or someone who's well-respected in the community, anyone who's prominent. Are there any... Um, titles or any greetings or honorifics for these type of people in 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 Maori community yes so my my two girls my daughters they go to um uh, like a bilingual school and my youngest is in a full immersion classroom and so at their school it's also you know predominantly Maori so they would refer to their teacher as um, they'd use the word fire. So fire translates as auntie. And then they also use for the male, um, for there's a, a male principal there, so they refer to him as matua. All right. So, for example, so they would say, you know, fire Jesse, for example, or matua Jamie. So we do use those terms out of respect, but also it, um, touches upon how we relate to others and that you know we are all one we're all family you know whether they're from the same tribe as me or not we're still one big family and for us as Māori that also extends to you know everybody so we see people from different different ethnicities or different cultures as just another they're just another tribe like us you know and so we have this you know really expansive concept of family and how we relate to each other. And part of it is also respect. So in my classes that I teach, I do use fire and matua for those who are older. So, you know, people who are my parents' age and um, who are learning Māori and those who are Māori themselves, like I will refer to them as fire and or, or use their name, like um, fire wiki is one mm. of my students so yeah it is out of respect um to those who are you know older than us but it's also um really connects us back to our 
Maori worldview about how everything is connected that we you know are just one little one small glimpse one small speck in the overall picture and that we are connected to you know each other to our families to our tribes to nature and to our ancestors Mm -hmm. I want to get to that in a minute and talk about just that concept of connection and being being connected but one last question about the language itself. Um, are there dialects throughout New Zealand of Te Reo Māori? And roughly how many are there? How, how um, mutually intelligible are they? Um, and, and what part of the country are they spoken? So, uh, yes, we do have dialectual differences throughout Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, so, you know, um, in terms of being able to understand each other, uh, yes, we can all understand each other. So just like, you know, American English, British English, New Zealand English, like we can understand each other. And there might be a few words we use differently, um, but we can still understand and communicate. So that's same with us when it comes to our different dialects across um, the Motu, the islands. So um yeah so then in terms of well just a quick example one of my friends he's from Taranaki which is on the west uh, side but it's lower down on the north island and so you know instead of saying whenua which means land he would say winua so they drop so in Māori we have a wh that sounds like a f sound it's like an f sound so, but he would drop the H and say Winua instead of Finua, you know. And um, so we see different variations like this um, depending on where you're from. Going back to what you were talking about before about being connected and um, connected to nature, connected to one another, and and recognizing and acknowledging that. Tell us about some uh, cultural concepts that are prevalent in Maori community communities um, and and what some of their meanings are so you know one of our fundamental concepts we have in Te Ao Māori which is the Māori world or Māori culture is the concept of whakapapa and that concept is um, translated as family genealogy and so it's our it's it's me it's my mother it's my grandmother and and great-grandparents and it's it's our whole web and so in that sense our culture exists on this matrix of whakapapa which takes us so for me and all of us it takes us all the way back you know great-great-great-great-grandparents all the way back and it allows us to connect to you know from our Maori worldview the first human who was Hineahuone and then all the way back to the beginning of the universe. So our creation story, you know, it's um, Rangi Nui, our sky father, and Papa Tuanuku, our earth mother, they're in a tight embrace. And um, they had many children, but their children were born into the darkness. And then one of their children, uh, Tane Mahuta, who is the god of the forest, he pushed them apart to the world we now live in with the sky above and the earth below. And so, you know, we have a lot of these different pūrāko, these stories, which explain these natural phenomena, how things are like they are. Um, but they all exist in on the web or on the matrix of whakapapa. And so not only does whakapapa connect us, you know, all the way back, it also connects us all the way forward. So all of our uri, our descendants. And then so in that sense, because of this kind of thinking, um, us as Maori and you know indigenous people also have this wider view of life and our existence, and so that's why often you'll see the indigenous people who are the ones to you know um, be protecting certain elements of nature, to you know be protesting for um, these environmental changes that are being detrimental on our on Papa Tuanuku, on Mother Earth, because we do have this wider concept of um, our, our lives and our existence. And we also relate to ourselves as, you know, us as the indiv- individual. We are not the most important thing. It's actually the collective or the community that is the most important thing. And so, yeah, so that's one of our main principles 
whakapapa. And then, you know, we do have other principles that are also important, like whanaunga tanga, which is creating those connections or those relationships with others. Um, manaki tanga, you know, being generous or, um, you know, looking after or being hospitable to others, you know, taking care of others. Uh, we also have, you know, different ideas with when it comes to you're supporting others. Um, a word called a word for that is tautoko, to support. Um, yeah, so you know those are just a handful. Um, also, our concept of family. Uh, the word for family is fano, but that's better defined as extended family because our idea of family is not the nuclear family. It's our, mm. our fano includes you know, our cousins, our aunties, our uncles, our nephews, our nieces. So it's this, you know, very much more expansive concept of, of family. Mm-hmm. And it even goes out to our second cousins, our third cousins, our, you know, fourth cousins. Does it extend to uh, podcasters in New York City who really yeah. want to be a part yes. of this? <laughs> yes, it definitely does. Because yes. it actually extends to everyone because... Yeah, from the Maori worldview, we're all connected. And Mm so, you know, very different from the Western worldview where, you know, I'm an individual and it's all about me. But it's from a Maori worldview, you know, we're all connected. We're all one, you know, with each other, but also with nature. And that's actually reflected in our language where we see, you know, like, for example, in the Western culture, there's this idea that man is above nature or man is separate from nature. As in our culture, we see ourselves as one with nature and connected to nature. So in our language, we would actually say, which translates as, who is your mountain? Mm. So we're relating. So I would ask, you know, who is your mountain? But I would also say, ko wai to mama, who is your mother, in the just the same way. And so as you can see, we're relating to things like our mountains and our rivers, just as we would relate to a person. Um, and so, but in English, the while, you know, ko wai to maunga, it means who is your mountain. Um, but we would actually translate that as what is your mountain. That's just because of the Western worldview that nature is a thing and separate from us and so to be grammatically correct in English we would say what is your mountain mm. because in the western world a mountain isn't a who it's a thing right but in an indigenous concept our mountain is our ancestors and it's who we fuck up up to so it's right a mountain is part of our family genealogy I'm telling you I think society went so wrong by like trying to shut out indigenous practices and voices and ideologies because I hear this and I'm like, where is this in our lives? Because this is something I feel like we all really need, especially after months, over a year being, you know, in in a pandemic. And I can't help but think if we, if more of us had this this base this foundation this ideology this way of thinking about you know uh nature and and humanity instead of being egocentric um we'd be all so much better off in new zealand i know that and as you explained that the culture um and the language you know there's official status hooray and that there it seems from as an outsider who looks at new zealand quite a bit it seems like uh, the culture is so embraced and it's, it, to me, it seems like it's embraced and that um, people are so proud of it, regardless of if they're indigenous or if they are white New Zealanders. But I'm really curious to know what the exchange is like and how um, indigenous communities interact with the white communities in New Zealand and and is everybody really proud? Are I hope so, but I mean, what is it really like there? And and how do what is the exchange of culture like? Um, you know, be, between these two between these two cultures. Yeah, no, that's a really great question, Ellie. You know, I think 
you know, just 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 like in America on Turtle Island there, um, yeah, you you do have some you know white people, you know, some Pakeha who are you know their allies. They're learning Te Reo Maori because you know they want to see this language not only survive but thrive. You know, and I have a lot of great students who are you know Pakeha. They identify as Kiwis or as New Zealanders, um, but they're not Māori. And so it's wonderful to see, you know, those who are not Māori really embracing, you know, um, te reo Māori and, you know, te ao Māori, the Māori culture is, you know, partly as an identifier for our wider New Zealand culture. So, yeah, that's been really great to see. I also have, you know, a couple of really good friends um, who, you know, I'll often speak in Māori with and one is Pākehā. And the other one is actually, she's from Poland. So she's Polish, but she lives in New Zealand. And so they've learned the language um, just because they live here. And, you know, they want, you know, I know um, with my friend who is Pakia, she just wants to see a different story. She wants a different story for her, eventually for her grandchildren. So we do have people like that who are, you know, very supportive and are just great allies. Um, and then on the other side, we, we also have people who are, very much against it, you know, who um, even protest against it. They'll say, you know, why is Te Reo Māori being shoved down our throats? Because a lot of times now, a lot of the, you know, on like the news, um, a lot of the news readers, they'll greet, um, they'll say they're greeting in Māori. They'll be like, you know, tēnā koutou katoa, welcome to the news, or however they do it. And they'll even include Māori words from time to time in their broadcasts you know, which is going out to the whole country. And so, yeah, so we definitely have those people who are, you know, really against it and they um, they feel like it's being, you know, forced onto them. Um, and they just, they're just, you know, ultimately I just think it's, they're not aware of the larger situation where, you know, um, the British did come and they took, um, the vast majority of our land and almost wiped out our culture and our language um, and so you know again this goes back to those differences in thinking so you know when people who are white respond to that it's clear to me that they don't have any connection to their ancestry to their whakapapa because you know they're benefiting from the system of colonization and so um, is there racism in New Zealand? Yes, there is, you know, and, you know, different, you know, ways that people are treated based on the color of their skin. And so, yeah, we, we do have all that here as well. And, you know, in saying that, though, I do feel, you know, things are slowly changing and we are moving towards a place where, you know, there is more acceptance, but it's, it's a slow road. It is definitely a slow road. And I think a lot of people like in our generation, they, you know, they're waking up and they're realizing that these systems that we operate in have been extremely oppressive and detrimental to indigenous people. But there are still people, you know, perhaps in, in the, the generation above us who are, yeah, who are just not, not having it. And they don't yeah, get I mean, it. <laughs> yeah. And they just don't get it. They don't see it. And, you know, they're still just standing holding on to their belief of ultimately, you know, white is right. And so, yeah, so, you know, it's been interesting, you know, obviously living in, a, in the US um, and seeing the different situations over there that have been happening, you know, to um, the black community and the Native American community. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's an interesting situation, but, you know, in a way I feel like um, living in America and, you know, being able to do things like anti-racism courses and, you know, really having firsthand experiences as well with, with my children, um, because my girls are, they're Maori, um, they're also Native American and they're also Black American. So, you know, having these real experiences has really had me you know, be able to do the work for myself as a brown woman and then also, you know, just, you know, work through, through the vehicle of my, um, my, my language class and 
yeah. my language school yeah to you know just bring light to these to yeah these things. that's the only way we drive out the darkness is to bring light to the situation and um I think the next generation I'm speaking it into action the next generation is going to get it right and they are going to be they're going to make us proud I have to say my favorite thing Okay, this is a little story time. I'm going to make it short. But one of my favorite things is watching the All Blacks do their haka. And I've had, this is so embarrassing, I've had an occasional, you know, slow Wednesday, Friday, Saturday night of just watching like video after video after video of the All Blacks. I don't, I'm not a rugby fan, but I will watch these fellas um do their their haka performance before the match and even like the the basketball team i've seen the the video of the new zealand basketball team doing it i think they were playing the u.s basketball team i don't remember when but um i've seen them do it and it is without exaggeration one of my favorite things in life to watch i just think that it's so beautiful and so moving and powerful and just majestic um, and I really encourage anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about to Google it because it's, it will change your life. Um, what I would love to know some of the background of this tradition and, um, what is its significance and importance in, in Maori culture? Um, and if you know, I don't know if you do, but if you know, like, what is the significance for performing it? at the start of a sporting event? Great question, Ali. Um, yes, so as well as teaching the Māori language, I also teach haka. And, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to teach haka in different states in America. And actually I've taught for a lot of corporate companies because they use haka as a way to, you know, um, energize their employees for like team bonding and empowerment. So the haka is our traditional war dance. So it is a war challenge. And so, you know, traditionally, you know, there's many different types of haka, but um, traditionally there would be a haka performed before a battle would happen between two tribes. And the hope was that the haka would be so scary, so fierce that the battle wouldn't occur. Um, so, but nowadays you can see haka for weddings, for funerals on the sports fields. Um, we did a haka here. In New Zealand for the Black Lives Matter protest, which is awesome. And so it's really gotten out there in terms of, you know, out there in the world with the All Blacks making it, initially making it famous or bringing it to that world stage, but also with social media and YouTube, just, you know, these videos are going viral. So I love it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, and it's, it's amazing because I, you know, I've watched many of those YouTube videos as well myself as obviously as someone who teaches the haka and you know is in the Maori world and it's amazing that even though you're watching it on YouTube you can still feel um, we call it the mana we can still feel the mana through the computer screen and like yeah I've watched I know there was a funeral haka and I think I ended up like crying it was it's just so powerful like so powerful that it's reading through uh through a screen right, right? and so you know it is a very powerful you know war dance and there's also that spiritual connection as well um that you know i think we as we as maori people have but especially through that through the haka um so the haka it's actually it's also it's a part of our traditional maori performing arts so our um, kapa haka or traditional maori performing arts it's one of you know um several elements which make up that you know body of knowledge and in terms of the sports field so what the all books are doing when they do the haka is they're laying down the challenge so this is them expressing the challenge and also expressing um, who they are as the national new zealand rugby team and it's also you know a lot of people say because they do the haka at the beginning of their games this is why they win so many games because it does bring the players together 
you know, it does. I, I have a Kapahaka group in Los Angeles and, you know, it's always that you feel that connectedness in a very spiritual way when you're doing the haka with others. And so, you know, a lot of All Blacks fans, uh, they do believe that the haka is really kind of the power behind the All Blacks or that's really what has them unite so well to then win a lot of the games. Mm-hmm. You'll have to come to one of my haka workshops. Yes, yes yeah. I'm there. I'm ready. <laughs> I think it's so powerful because it's really an opportunity to um, fully express yourself in this very traditional and ancestral way. And then also that facial gesture that you were talking about, it's called the pukana. And, um, you know, some Māori say that the pukana is your deepest, most spirit being expressed on your face. And so in that way, it's very powerful, powerful dance. Um, you know, people do it. They do a haka if they're facing different obstacles in their lives, you know, a haka or a challenge, or they do a haka against, you know, something that might not be going well, or uh, it's also a powerful release if you're feeling worried or stressed or, or angry and, I think that's another part of it is that there's nothing in the Western culture when you can express like that. You know, I, I think the closest is like martial arts, you know, like karate, like, or different types of taekwondo. Um, in martial arts, there's the element, you know, there's the, the projection of the voice and the, yes. the movements. Um, although those are from, you know, the Asian cultures, but in the Western culture, you know, I think this is another reason why people are really attracted to the haka, you know, apart from the very, you know, the spiritual element. It is that, yeah, because I've thought about this a lot and I'm like, there's literally nothing in the Western culture that is an acceptable form of expressing yourself in this specific way. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if you, uh, you know, if you raise your voice, your neighbors might like, call the police or something and and you know with apartment living being a big thing in you know LA and New York it's like yeah that's you, you can't really do that and so yeah I think that's another attractive element about it why people you know they love watching it so much but even more is they they want to learn it because it does allow yourself to express you, you, who you are and that full self-expression in a way that's just not available in in western culture yeah i had never thought of that but that's totally true we're just this is probably why people attach onto unhealthy addictions because we don't have healthy ways of you know it's normal to be frustrated or scared or anxious or anything and when you don't have any acceptable normal quote-unquote way of releasing that you start drinking or doing drugs or gambling or you know I didn't realize that haka is also performed by women are the is the role of women in this in this dance is it the same as the role of men or is there a a separate or special role for women that's a great question, Ali. And, you know, I have been asked or have been, you know, in America, I've had people come up to me and say, wow, you're the first woman I've ever seen do the haka. And so, you know, I know it is portrayed um, as, you know, kind of a, a, a male dance, but actually haka is for men, it's for women, it's for children. Um, you know, so it's something, it's for people who are, you know, I've taught elderly, I've taught people, you know, who are, are in a wheelchair, they can still do it, but they'll just be sitting down. Um, so it is for everyone. But in terms of those different roles, yeah, there are definitely a, a few differences when it comes to, you know, how the men, the men do their haka stance versus the woman, and then the pukana, the facial gesture, there's differences there when it comes to men versus women. And then in terms of, you know, how we would stand, you know, in that part. So with my kapahaka group and 
with kapahaka groups in general, the, the men would come to the front row. So usually the men would be in the front line and then the women would be behind the men, but still doing the haka, maybe, um, you know, with a different stance. And sometimes the actions are slightly different for women as well. But the men are in the front to actually to protect the woman because um, traditionally it was, you know, it was in a, on a, on a battlefield, right? You were going to battle between another tribe. And so the men would be in the front to protect the woman. Okay. But in saying that, we also have haka that are specifically for women. So there's a haka that was composed and it's the most famous woman's haka. And so women would, would so in that case, the women are at the front and the men are at the back. Yes. <laughs> yeah so you know and a lot of times too um you know I've, I've had different you know there's been different thoughts about me as a woman teaching the haka um but you know often people don't realize that because I am doing it in Los Angeles and there's really no other there's very few Maori men who are actively engaging in our um, traditions in LA and there's just not a lot of Maori people in general living in the states so, you know, um, I have had different, you know, things or people sharing different opinions about a woman leading a haka. Um, but, you know, often I'll just say, well, look, there are no men here to, to lead it. And then part of me also, um, you know, I've, I've talked in the past about the influence of the patriarchy on our culture. And so, you know, along with colonization, the British brought with them also the patriarchy. And so as a result of that, um, the voices of Maori women have been silenced for quite some time. And it's only now we're starting to see you know, Maori women writing books and really expressing um, our side of the culture and, you know, things that are specific just to Maori and also just to just to Maori women. Um, so, you know, ex an example of that for me is um, when I was young, I always knew who the god of the ocean was. Um, his name is Tangaroa. So Tangaroa is our god of the ocean. But it was only a few years ago that I found out the name of the goddess of the ocean. And her name is Henemoana Nui. And I know that's an impact of the patriarchy on my culture. The fact that as a small child, I, I, I was taught Tangaroa, but I was never taught Henemoana Nui. Um, but from a Maori perspective, we need both these divine masculine and divine feminine elements to come together and to procreate. And so Tangaroa and Hinemoana Nui are the parents of everything in the ocean. So the fish, um, you know, the starfish, the eels, the seaweed, the, so everything in the ocean, they are, you know, the parents of. And so, you know, that's just an example, one of many, of how the patriarchy has right. had an influence and inevitable impact, as you know, brought along with colonization on, on our culture. Yeah. Yeah. How can non-Indigenous people in New Zealand or even visitors, like I will be someday to New Zealand, support the Maori community? And furthermore, how can we respectfully engage with the community and continue to honor the community and, and their land? Oh, wow. That's a really great question, Ali. Um, you know, I think one of the first things that comes to mind for people who are, you know, non-Maori is to do your own internal work and, um, you know, because it starts with you. And I, I'm talking here specifically on, the topic of racism um, because you know we a lot of us have internalized racism internalized patriarchy uh, things like that that you know can that cause people to act in ways that are detrimental to people of color and so I think you know I think that's one of um, the biggest things people um, can do to support indigenous you know indigenous people people of color is to do your own internal work and um, yeah, deal with, with your internalized racism. So yeah, so I think that is um, a, a top one, uh, top on the list. And then, you know, other ways I think are to support, you know, support Maori owned businesses, 
or people of colour owned businesses, but in the context of New Zealand, Māori owned, you know, support, you know, Māori community projects, um, you know, Māori organisations, you know, Māori fundraisers, because ultimately, um, wherever you're living in New Zealand, you're living on native land, you know, and there's a big mo movement there in the US, you know, with, you know, the whole land back movement and, you know, ultimately, yeah, a lot of uh, New Zealand people have benefited from Māori losing our land and, you know, them then establishing themselves on the land. And so a lot of, you know, not everyone is kind of thinking like that, um, but I encourage people to think like that and to think, well, look, you've, you're benefiting from a system that oppresses Māori and other people of colour. So, you know, in order to, you know, I guess it, the, one of the concepts is reparations, but, you know, even just supporting Māori community or local organisations who support Māori in the community. Yeah, those kind of things. Um, I think really are beneficial. Um, also for my classes for Learn Māori Abroad, I have like a scholarship program. And so I've had a lot of people generously donate money so I can provide scholarships to Māori people who live overseas, who live abroad and who might not otherwise be able to learn their language. And so that's been really great. And, you know, I've had all sorts of people donate to our scholarship program. And so even like things like that, because, you know, that's an opportunity for those who benefit from the systems that we live in to give, be able to give back now to our um, Māori communities. Since you are talking about Learn Māori Abroad, tell us where we can find you. Tell us how to get in touch and how can we donate to the scholarship that you have too if, if we want to um, support and we want to encourage and honor the Māori community? Well, I am on Facebook and Instagram and I also have a website. So it's, um, you know, learnmaoriabroad.com and then learn Māori abroad on social media. Um, and you're also welcome to email me at info. So info at learnmaoriabroad.com. Uh, we do have our next round of classes starting in January. So I'll be opening up the enrollments for that uh, this week. Um, but, but yeah, and then in terms of the, um, the scholarship program, I mean, you're welcome to just email me. Um, I think also I have a link there in, on my Instagram, on my link tree. So you could also look into that on there. But, but yeah, those are just the main ways to get in touch. Amazing. I will add the links to all of these into the show notes for this episode. Well, Amelia, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. I learned so much. I have one more question for you. Do you have any jokes, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom, or words of advice in Te Reo Māori to share? Ali, I'm, I, at first I thought you were going to stop there on jokes and I was like, oh no, I don't have any jokes. Um, no, but I do, you know, something, you know, that I, that came up earlier for me and I think it was when we're talking about the haka and it's this idea that, you know, um, you know, us expressing ourselves like this, like this in the Maori culture, you know, through the haka. And I was also thinking, well, you know that's not acceptable that's not an acceptable way of expression and there's nothing like that in the western culture what that brought to mind was the idea of um, eat their all eat their poor and it's from a karakia that i use in my beginners course and it's talking about that we shall live in light and darkness and so i think a big part of the western culture is that you know, we're always saying, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? And there's this like resistance towards, quote, unquote, the darkness. But in the Indigenous culture and in our culture, we give the same, we give each element the same light, the same weight, I should say. So the light and the darkness. So both is equal. But I do notice that in Western culture, 
there's a big emphasis on always, oh, I've got to always look happy and like I have it all together and, you know, oh, I'm good. Whereas in our culture, there's an equal reverence for light and darkness. And in that sense, you don't get caught up in either one, you know? And I think with the Western culture, because of this huge emphasis on like always being good and look at me, I'm always happy that you get people do get caught up in the darkness a lot more because it's resisted a lot more or it's kind of pushed under the rug so to speak yeah so you know I think that's part of what I'm wanting to share with your listeners is that you can embrace both you can embrace the light and the darkness and you know darkness doesn't necessarily have to be labeled a quote-unquote bad thing because from an indigenous perspective it's just, it just exists. Just like, you know, the sun goes up oh, it, and it's daytime and now the sun is down and it's nighttime. It's just is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have those times in our lives where there's a lot of light and we're going to have times in our lives that where there's darkness and one is not better than the other. They're actually equal and we need the darkness so we can appreciate the light and we need the light so we can appreciate the darkness just like day and night and as Māori we are we we relate a lot of our sayings and our proverbs and our um you know our prayers to nature to the environment so yeah so that's what I wanted to share and I thought it was appropriate you know as well because to tie back into what we were talking about with the haka yeah yeah can you teach me the phrase Yes, so it is from a karakia. Um, would it work for me to share the whole karakia and then I will share the, the line? Yes. Okay, so and this can also be our, our closing karakia. Ko te reo ngā manu tērā, ka tangi nei i te ao, kua uru ko te rā, ki wānganui i a ranginui i a papatuanuku, ko ranginui ki ranga, ko papatuanuku ki raro. Ka heke iho ngā roimata i a ranginui, ka heke ake te kōhu i a papatuanuku, ko te tōhu tērā, ka ora tawa i te ao i te pō. Tūturu whakamaua kia tīna, tīna, haumie, huie, tāe ki ie. Alright, and so the line there was, um, e ora ana tawa i te ao i te pō. And that's saying that we shall live in light and darkness. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to repeat after you. So it's ka ora tawa. Ka ora tawa. I te ao. I te ao. I te po. I te po. Ka ora tawa. I te ao. I te po. Very good. Ten of high. That was so great, Ali. Wow. You got- oh, my first Maori. My first today of Maori words. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's really beautiful. Thank you so much, Ali. Thank you so much. Um, it's been wonderful connecting with you and sharing about te reo Māori and te ao Māori, the Māori culture with you and your listeners. And yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks. Before I let you go, really quickly, after we've been having this kind of conversation and learning and talking with one another in te reo Māori, what would be the best way to say goodbye? Well, uh, to say goodbye, we, we can say, um, we'll say, let's do this one. So this is ma te wa. So ma te wa is used to say goodbye, but it also means in due time. Mm. And so, you know, the reason I like this one, so, you know, ma te wa is a farewell, but it's also the idea of that you know, when you plant a seed and you water it and, you know, it gets enough sun, it's going to grow in due time. And it's something that we can also apply to our own lives that, you know, things will happen in due time. And, you know, 
being patient with ourselves and also with others. So, you know, often I use it with my students too, like matiwa in due time, because, mm. you know, they're so excited and they just really want to get to like converse- conversational or become more fluent in the language. But, you know, it just takes time. So we'd like to remind them matiwa in due time. And it's you know, something that um, a kaumatua shared with me who um, he he was the grandfather of one of my um, assistants. And so it's also special uh, for that reason, because he would come to our classes and share a lot of his knowledge with us. So, but Matiwa to say farewell, but also in due time. So it's like Matiwa, like I'll see you again in due time, but also things happen in due time. I love that. I love that. Matiwa, Amelia, and thank you again so much. Matiwa, Ellie. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.